Part two, chapter two of O Pioneers by Willa Cather. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Emil reached home a little past noon, and when he went into the kitchen, Alexandra was already seated at the head of the long table, having dinner with her men, as she always did unless there were visitors. He slipped into his empty place at his sister's right. The three pretty young Swedish girls who did Alexandra's housework were cutting pies, refilling coffee cups, placing platters of bread and meat and potatoes upon the red tablecloth, and continually getting in each other's way between the table and the stove. To be sure, they always wasted a good deal of time getting in each other's way and giggling at each other's mistakes. But, as Alexandra had pointedly told her sisters-in-law, it was to hear them giggle that she kept three young things in her kitchen. The work she could do herself, if it were necessary. These girls, with their long letters from home, their finery, and their love affairs, afforded her a great deal of entertainment, and they were company for her when Emile was away at school. Of the youngest girl, Signa, who had a pretty figure, mottled pink cheeks, and yellow hair. Alexandra is very fond, though she keeps a sharp eye upon her. Signa is apt to be skittish at mealtime when the men are about, and to spill the coffee or upset the cream. It is supposed that Nelsa Jensen, one of the six men at the dinner-table, is courting Signa, though he has been so careful not to commit himself that no one in the house, least of all Signa, can tell just how far the matter has progressed. Nelsa watches her glumly as she waits upon the table, and in the evening he sits on a bench behind the stove with his drunk harmonica, playing mournful airs and watching her as she goes about her work. When Alexandra asked Signa whether she thought Nelsa was in earnest, the poor child hid her hands under her apron and murmured, I don't know, ma'am, but he scolds me about everything, like as if he wanted to have me at Alexandra's left sat a very old man, barefoot and wearing a long blue blouse, open at the neck. His shaggy head is scarcely whiter than it was sixteen years ago, but his little blue eyes have become pale and watery, and his ruddy face is withered like an apple that has clung all winter to the tree. When Ivor lost his land through mismanagement a dozen years ago, Alexandra took him in, and he has been a member of her household ever since. He is too old to work in the fields, but he hitches and unhitches the work teams and looks after the health of the stock. Sometimes, of a winter evening, Alexandra calls him into the sitting-room to read the Bible aloud to her, for he still reads very well. He dislikes human habitations, so Alexandra has fitted him up a room in the barn where he is very comfortable, being near the horses and, as he says, further from temptations. No one has ever found out what his temptations are. In cold weather he sits by the kitchen fire and makes hammocks or men's harness until it is time to go to bed. Then he says his prayers at great length behind the stove, puts on his buffalo-skin coat, and goes out to his room in the barn. Alexandra herself has changed very little. Her figure is fuller, and she has more color. She seems sunnier and more vigorous than she did as a young girl. 
but she still has the same calmness and deliberation of manner, the same clear eyes, and she still wears her hair in two braids wound round her head. It is so curly that fiery ends escape from the braids and make her head look like one of the big double sunflowers that fringe her vegetable garden. Her face is always tanned in summer, for her sunbonnet is oftener on her arm than on her head. But where her collar falls away from her neck, or where her sleeves are pushed back from her wrist, the skin is of such smoothness and whiteness as none but Swedish women ever possess, skin with the freshness of the snow itself. Alexandra did not talk much at the table, but she encouraged her men to talk, and she always listened attentively, even when they seemed to be talking foolishly. Today, Barney Flynn, the big red-headed Irishman who had been with Alexandra for five years and who was actually her foreman, though he had no such title, was grumbling about the new silo she had put up that spring. It happened to be the first silo on the divide, and Alexandra's neighbors and her men were skeptical about it. To be sure, if the thing don't work, we'll have plenty of feed without it indeed, Barney conceded. Nelson Jensen, Signa's gloomy suitor, had his word. Lou, he says, he wouldn't have no silo on his place if you'd give it to him. He says the feed out in it gives the stock the bloat. He heard of somebody lost four head of horses feeding them that stuff. Alexandra looked down the table from one to another. Well, the only way we can find out is to try. Lou and I have different notions about feeding stock, and that's a good thing. It's bad if all the members of a family think alike. They never get anywhere. Lou can learn by my mistakes, and I can learn by his. Isn't that fair, Barney? The Irishman laughed. He had no love for Lou, who was always uppish with him, and who said that Alexandra paid her hands too much. I've no thought but to give the thing an honest try, Mum. It would be only right, after putting so much expense into it. Maybe Emil will come out and have a look at it with me. He pushed back his chair, took his hat from the nail, and marched out with Emil, who, with his university ideas, was supposed to have instigated the silo. The other hands followed them, all except old Ivar. He had been depressed throughout the meal, and had paid no heed to the talk of the men, even when they mentioned cornstalk bloat, upon which he was sure to have opinions. "'Did you want to speak to me, Ivar?' Alexandra asked as she rose from the table. "'Come into the sitting-room.' The old man followed Alexandra, but when she motioned him to a chair, he shook his head. She took up her work-basket and waited for him to speak. He stood looking at the carpet, his bushy head bowed, his hands clasped in front of him. Ivar's bandy legs seemed to have grown shorter with years, and they were completely misfitted to his broad, thick body and heavy shoulders. "'Well, Ivar, what is it?' Alexandra asked after she had waited longer than usual. Ivar had never learned to speak English, and his Norwegian was quaint and grave, like the speech of the more old-fashioned people. He always addressed Alexandra in terms of the deepest respect hoping to set a good example to the kitchen girls, whom he thought too familiar in their manners. Mistress, he began faintly, without raising his eyes, the folk have been looking coldly at me of late. 
You know there has been talk. Talk about what, Ivar? About sending me away to the asylum. Alexandra put down her sewing basket. Nobody has come to me with such talk, she said decidedly. Why need you listen? You know I would never consent to such a thing. Ivar lifted his shaggy head and looked at her out of his little eyes. They say you cannot prevent it if the folk complain of me, if your brothers complain to the authorities. They say that your brothers are afraid, God forbid, that I may do you some injury when my spells are on me. Mistress, how can anyone think that, that I could bite the hand that fed me? The tears trickled down on the old man's beard. Alexandra frowned. I, Ivor, I wonder at you that you should come bothering me with such nonsense. I am still running my own house, and other people have nothing to do with either you or me. So long as I am suited with you, there is nothing to be said. Ivor pulled a red handkerchief out of the breast of his blouse and wiped his eyes and beard. But I should not wish you to keep me if... As they say, it is against your interests, and if it is hard for you to get hands, because I am here. Alexandra made an impatient gesture, but the old man put out his hand and went on earnestly. Listen, mistress, it is right that you should take these things into account. You know that my spells come from God, and that I would not harm any living creature. You believe that everyone should worship God in the way revealed to him. But that is not the way of this country. The way here is for all to do alike. I am despised because I do not wear shoes, because I do not cut my hair, and because I have visions. At home, in the old country, there were many like me who had been touched by God, or who had seen things in the graveyard at night and were different afterward. We thought nothing of it and let them alone. But here, if a man is different in his feet or in his head, they put him in the asylum. Look at Peter Kralik. When he was a boy, drinking out of a creek, he swallowed a snake, and always after that he could eat only such food as the creature liked, for when he ate anything else, it became enraged and gnawed him. When he felt it whipping about in him, he drank alcohol to stupefy it and get some ease for himself. He could work as good as any man, and his head was clear, but they locked him up for being different in his stomach. That is the way. They have built the asylum for people who are different, and they will not even let us live in the holes with the badgers. Only your great prosperity has protected me so far. If you had had ill fortune, they would have taken me to Hastings long ago. As Ivar talked, his gloom lifted. Alexandra, had found that she could often break his fasts and long penances by talking to him and letting him pour out the thoughts that troubled him. Sympathy always cleared his mind, and ridicule was poison to him. There is a great deal in what you say, Ivar. Like as not, they will be wanting to take me to Hastings because I have built a silo, and then I may take you with me. But at present I need you here. Only don't come to me again telling me what people say. Let people go on talking as they like, and we will go on living as we think best. 
you have been with me now for twelve years and i have gone to you for advice oftener than i have ever gone to any one that ought to satisfy you ivar bowed humbly yes mistress i shall not trouble you with their talk again and as for my feet i have observed your wishes all these years though you have never questioned me washing them every night even in winter alexandra laughed oh never mind about your feet ivar we can remember when half our neighbors went barefoot in summer i expect old mrs lee would love to slip her shoes off now sometimes if she dared i'm glad i'm not lou's mother-in-law ivar looked about mysteriously and lowered his voice almost to a whisper you know what they have over at lou's house a great white tub like the stone water troughs in the old country to wash themselves in when you sent me over with the strawberries they were all in town but the old woman lee and the baby she took me in and showed me the thing and told me it was impossible to wash yourself clean in it because in so much water you could not make a strong suds so when they fill it up and send her in there she pretends and makes a splashing noise then when they are all asleep she washes herself in a little wooden tub she keeps under her bed alexandra shook with laughter <laughs> poor old mrs lee they won't let her wear nightcaps either never mind when she comes to visit me she can do all the old things in the old way and have as much beer as she wants we'll start an asylum for old-time people ivar ivar folded his big handkerchief carefully and thrust it back into his blouse this is always the way mistress i come to you sorrowing and you send me away with a light heart and will you be so good as to tell the irishman that he is not to work the brown gelding until the sore on its shoulder is healed that i will now go and put emile's mare to the cart i am going to drive up to the north quarter to meet the man from town who is to buy my alfalfa hay End of chapter 2, part 2.